to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody is doing well. We are your hosts. I am Jordan Porter, joined by the fabulous Yvonne Brandenburg. Hi. Hey, girl. <laughs> Hi. How's it going? Happy 4th when we're recording this. Oh, yeah, we're recording this on the 4th. Well, um, but we already said yeah. happy Independence Day last week, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going to try to record a couple of episodes today, which is exciting because, um get ahead because i've got ooh, i've All got abma coming up i've got to travel down to the bay area for a week then i'm going down to like yeah you see irvine i don't even know the like the week after so i'm like <laughs> i'm like traveling quite a bit this month um which is crazy and uh yeah so we want to make sure we get things recorded so we're not scrambling or pushing them off which is usually what happens <laughs> So, yep. Yep. But not today. Not on my nope. watch now, Yvonne. Not on my watch. <laughs> I know. Jordan's my boss now. I gotta, I gotta <sighs> ship up and whew, get, I otherwise I get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, Yvonne was all like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of fun. Like Jordan gets to be boss lady now. And I'm just like, I'm, I, you tell me what to do. Cause I was telling Matt though, you know. I was like, I think the most difficult part for me is trying to like plan my days. Like I always, plan my days Mm. it it seems to be like freaking 5 a.m like I have a plan for what I want to do tomorrow but it'll change by 5 a.m tomorrow when I wake up because then I wake up at 5 a.m and I lay in bed and then I'm like I need to do this this and this let me start batching this but then as yesterday proved I can spend two hours working on something that doesn't work just for it to like quickly be fixed and then I spend five minutes doing something but I told Matt I was like I think the hardest part is that like while I know the things that need to get done, I don't have anybody telling me like what I need to do. Like, I don't have mm. true, clear, like job expectations, right? Like I don't, Yeah. so it's like trying to make those for me, like myself has been weird. And yeah, it's, it's kind of funny because I think, I think I've already gotten used to it because like our, our stay at home jobs were very different. Like you had yeah. <laughs> a very much set schedule, like you had appointments, you had like all these things that you had to do. And it was very similar to being in a clinic and doing your appointments. I know when I switched to working from home, like I was used to my internal medicine, like go, 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 go schedule where like my entire day was planned out. You just did it. I do the first couple of months of like not having that. I was just like, uh, yeah, like I, I was telling Matt, I just like, I feel a little <laughs> lost. Like I have things written down everywhere. I have ideas written yeah. down everywhere <laughs> and things that I need to complete written down everywhere. But it's just like trying to figure out which tasks to accomplish each day, making sure that I put in enough time to things, but yet not too much time. So that way I still like I put yeah. like, last night I made a I set intentions yesterday morning, like because I was like, all right, this week is a new week. I sat outside, I drank my coffee on the front porch because that is one of my intentions now. Like it's part of my routine. That's what I do. And then I think about the things that I need to do for the day. And so I was like, when, 
like once I finish work and like get dinner and everything situated and like we're settled for the night and everybody's home like no phones like just it's it's gone yeah and so like that was hard for me and like especially because like, I dealt with so much social media stuff yesterday for us <laughs> that to like yeah. not go back on there and like double check things was like it, it was a bit tough so like just planning out my days has been because it's like again I want to put in enough time to make it seem we like I am probably do a whole episode on that actually because yeah. we're not the only ones that you know are not doing your traditional nine to five job <laughs> right um but but yeah like I I can definitely I can help with that because <laughs> I worked through it and then we can help each other on it um uh, because it is a whole different way of like managing your day it's it's very it's very yeah. weird yeah because yeah. like I have the freedom where like when I got frustrated yesterday at the social media stuff I just like went outside and like yeah petted my animals for a minute and then I came back in um so it's just been it's been odd and then like you know like a big part of it too is like your environment around you so it's like I've been doing things around my office too to just make myself want to be in here yeah yeah so I just it's been interesting like I feel like I've completed a lot like yesterday I felt so freaking accomplished (laughs) nice I love it Woo! (laughs) like I like July is done like especially once we record all this stuff today like July is done (laughs) like that's awesome and today's the fourth so it's just it's been interesting yeah so anyway that's what I've been dealing with since I started working (laughs) we'll figure it out it's it's like it's like a new job you gotta like figure out how to do it it's been it's just it's nice because like I'm in charge of myself, which is nice. But then it's also like I'm so terrified of like disappointing people. Like maybe I'm not doing enough because nobody can see what I'm doing. So I'm just like, Oh my God. You know, it's just like it's my brain for you. Oh uh, yeah. No, I totally get it. I, I until you all see my social media posts throughout the month of July, then you will all see. That all of a sudden they're going to be like, oh, look, internal medicine for vet techs is alive again. <laughs> I know. We've been so I bad. S- it's great. <laughs> I slaved all over all of those posts, people. I expect all the likes. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's like, why isn't this viral? Sorry. I just like, it shouldn't have taken as long as it did. <laughs> it just... <laughs> I will, anyway. but it, there was a lot of weird things that just were broken that you had to fix. And now that they're fixed, it's way better. <laughs> and we didn't now even know they fixed, were broken. It's so easy. Other <sighs> yeah. than like, just like the fact that I had to fix it before any of it would work <laughs> is really annoying. I know. <laughs> like, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I would have known that it was broken. That's the weird thing. Like, I know that there's more stuff that's broken in our. Yeah. IT world <laughs> like yeah, but I have, have no idea like yeah <laughs> but yeah there's a bunch of stuff that we have no idea like I found like... one on the website a link that was completely broken and I was like wow so glad that I haven't checked that link in probably two years and it was yeah. broken it was great I was like oh, oh dang it uh yeah so if you guys ever find things that don't work appropriately please let us know <laughs> because 
definitely let us know (laughs) yeah absolutely and like although be careful because that's how jordan got roped into the business because she was like away And I was like, oh, you, you found mistakes? Come be part of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Little did I know what that would get me. <laughs> oh, my God. That was what? Four uh, years five. ago. Was it four years ago or is it five years ago now? Because that was when you were studying. Yeah, but it was towards, it was closer towards the test. So it was probably like okay. four and a half years ago. Crazy. Oh, yeah. Because you would have just said, yeah, so. And I think it was January, February, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, did you know? Speaking of all my social media posts, you'll be seeing one coming up soon to talk about our <laughs> monthly CE called Normal Cat Vomiting. There is no such thing. We will be lecturing about that on Saturday, July 22nd, 2023, at 11 30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time or 2 30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you would like to go, you can join the membership site at internal medicine for vet and it's free or um you can also get invited through the newsletter at internal medicine for vet or go to our events page at internal medicine for vet slash events good job you got that all memorized nice or look Should at all my social media it. posts that are coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this one um this is probably one of our most requested lectures um which is kind of crazy to me that Yes, it's a soapbox box of ours and people are interested in our soapbox and I try not to be too soapboxy. Um, and just, it did get moved back a week from normal because I will be at AVMA the previous weekend. So it is, it's, it's a little bit off of our normal schedule, but um, we're still, we wanted to still keep it in July. So it's, it's just a week later than normal. But yeah, if you're in the membership, it is free for all members. Um, If you are not in the membership, there is a small fee for it. Um, So when you sign up, you can can get some CE. Yep. And on the topic of cat vomiting, we are going to be discussing nutritional management (laughs) of GI disease today. This is true. (laughs) Although I did not get into the nitty gritty details of probiotics, just know they are warranted here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, so anyway, the GI disease is huge, right? Like it's one of the main things that we see in internal medicine and it's, it varies a lot. So there's going to be some flip-flopping back and forth based on the disease process. That's that we're going to be talking about for the, the diet specifically, but there's going to be four broad categories of diets uh, that are utilized to maintain GI disease. And those include low residue diets, fiber enhanced diets, hypoallergenic diets, and of course our favorite low fat diets. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is, it's hard. Cause when we talk about nutrition, like we've kind of talked about it for all of them, it really is disease specific. Like what food we're going to be going with. And, and the GI, we all know if you work in internal medicine or you've ever seen a patient GI symptoms and signs are, are very different. You know, is it upper GI? Is it lower GI? Is it vomiting? Is it diarrhea? Is it, I'm not gaining weight, (laughs) you know, like there's so many GI diseases. So this is going to be one of those episodes that probably could be broken down into like 30 (laughs) we could we could yeah we could very much just break this down on like per disease (laughs) like 
Uh, so we're going to start off with vomiting. Vomiting is definitely the most common clinical sign of GI disease that we see in clinic. Probably because our pets can't talk to us, right? They can't tell us that they have a <laughs> stomach ache. Uh, so dietary goals for vomiting are really going to be focused on minimizing irritation within the GI tract. We really want to promote gastric emptying. So that way things aren't sitting in the stomach to come back up. And we want to normalize the motility and prevent, um, reflux, right? So again, probiotics do play a role here because they do help with all those things, right? You have to have the proper bacteria in order for things to move properly. Um, but fat and fiber in particular actually delay gastric emptying. So when we choose a lower fat diet and a lower residue diet, usually that's going to be ideal to help manage vomiting and even those GI reflux cases that we see. So if we get those like small little morning burps, uh, mm. they might be eating a fatty meal before bed, right? So it's like, if we reduce the fat and make it a low residue diet, then we could potentially minimize the amount of vomiting that's happened. Because why? Vomiting every day is not normal. No. We're not supposed vomiting to. Vomiting once a week is not normal. Yeah. <laughs> I always, I always look at people and, and well, I, I want to tell them this, but it's like, I don't because I'm not mean like that, but it's like, do you vomit daily or weekly? Like if you vomited every day or once a week, what would you be like? Eh, it's fine. No problem. No, you'd be going to the doctor. You'd be trying to figure out what's going on. If you yeah. were nauseous daily. You would hundred percent be taking something for it. So it's yeah. ugh, people. So we're mammals. What, what- what else do we do though when we want to reduce vomiting right sometimes we withhold food not water not water (laughs) that was drilled in my head when i was in tech school too no food or water for 48 hours uh that is not oh that's such an outdated thing (laughs) i know (laughs) anyway no food for up to 24 hours if you can and and that's gonna vary too not that's not you can't not feed a puppy who's six weeks old. Right. No, no, no. That's one pound. Don't for, do it. You can't not feed them for 24 hours. So it is going to vary. So sometimes you can withhold food for one to two hours if they're smaller and maybe prone to hypoglycemia, right? Again, not withholding water, but we want to recommend that maybe they allow smaller drinks of water. So, you know, those dogs that are vomiting and then they go and they chug a bowl of water and then they vomit up the entire bowl of water. So we want to limit the amount they can intake, but we want to, we want to offer them water at least every half an hour, every, you know, two hours. So that way they can still keep themselves hydrated because again, we're dealing with losses here when it comes to vomiting and nausea and stuff like that. Mm. Um, Small frequent meals once they haven't vomited for a little while, because the goal of fasting a pet from food is to reduce that inflammation in the GI tract and the upper GI tract. And, um, really allow things to settle, like allow that inflammation to settle and that irritation to settle. So then once we reintroduce food though, we want to introduce small frequent meals. So about three to six meals per day, instead of the standard two. Um, And that's just going to help speed the passage of food through the stomach. So a large amount of food is not going to sit in the stomach and cause more irritation. It's going to quickly move through and start getting the motility of things to move normally. Yep. Then we have small, uh, small intestinal disease. So in the lower... GI in the small intestine tract, we see diarrhea, small intestinal diarrhea. Uh, Sometimes we can see this with or without vomiting. 
Um, but oftentimes small intestinal diarrhea will also benefit from a low residue diet. And so, um, because when we're, we're battling small intestinal diarrhea, then digestion and absorption is going to be affected, right? Like it's not going to work as well or as properly as it should. So again, feeding those smaller frequent meals are also going to be recommended here as well, um, as well as early feeding for the intestines. So not fasting if we're not vomiting, right? We want to continue putting food in the pet and trying to get things to work in the proper direction. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the idea, you know, when we're talking about this is if you imagine ingesta, right. Cause it's not food, it's not feces yet. It's ingesta. Um, if you imagine like seeing the intestines having their normal peristaltic waves and stuff like that, if we have small amounts frequently, that's going to be much, much more normal than these huge giant boluses of food or ingested that comes through because that stretching and, and, you know, it makes the intestines work harder. So, you know, having those small food boluses is going to be much more normal for the guts as it tries to just settle down. Um, and so, yeah, like small amounts frequently is going to be good for the small intestine. Yeah. Cause we don't want to cause stasis, right? Like we don't want to like, no. that's just going to cause yeah. more disruption. So we like, it is proper to go ahead and feed them sooner rather than later. And then we come to IBD, right? So inflammatory mm -hmm. bowel disease or inflammatory bowel syndrome, IBS. Uh, so this is chronic, usually idiopathic inflammation of the GI tract and the severity can range, right? We know we've seen all the cases in internal medicine. So we've seen mild to life-threatening that leads to protein losing it, enteropathy, and that can yeah. be pretty significant. So as you can take a guess, then the diets can vary <laughs> for this issue. Yeah. So clinical <laughs> signs though really are going to depend on the section of bowel affected. So the main factors that need to be included when thinking of nutrition for IBD issues is we really want to avoid excessive protein, right? Because we want to try to minimize antigens that are going to cause an immune response, right? Because oftentimes inflammatory bowel disease, it's the guts reacting to a specific type of protein. So we want to avoid excessive dietary protein to try to limit those immune responses that happen. Um, that being said, though, if we develop protein losing enteropathy, that's where the exception is going to lie, because with protein uh, losing enteropathy, we're losing protein, right? So Therefore, that's going to require high protein diets, which is a very big catch 22 when trying to like yeah. manage IBD. Yeah. Um, we also still want to feed a low residue diet just because this is going to help if uh, absorption within the GI tract is impaired. We want to try to utilize a novel protein or a hydrolyzed protein diet because, again, we want to reduce the risk of that inflammatory response. And again, still, we want to feed small, frequent meals. So unfortunately, if a pet has been diagnosed with IBD, well, it might not always be possible if they can eat smaller, more frequent meals, again, instead of the one to two standard feedings, that is better for their guts. Yeah. And then I don't know if I don't know if we've talked about like the low residue diet and kind of understanding. So the idea with that one is the food itself is 
easily digested and does not have a lot of waste product that is produced versus like a fiber diet is kind of the opposite. We, we do like a bulking for that one. And so the low residue diet, um, is a little bit easier on the guts for digestion and it produces a smaller volume of stool, um, versus like our fiber diets is going to be harder to digest, which creates a, a higher amount of stool. Um, so again, if you think about like for these, these patients, we need it to be highly digestible, mm-hmm. um, because their guts aren't working appropriately. <laughs> so the low residue diet makes things a little bit easier on the guts. Yep. So, and then we kind of get into just a little bit more of the severe cases. So when we see protein losing enteropathies, we can sometimes see that with lymphangiectasia and lymphangiectasia actually does require a low fat fat diet as well. I will say, just speaking from experience, like anytime anybody has a GI disease, like that came through internal medicine, we automatically put them on a low fat diet. Didn't matter what was going on. (laughs) Like, Hmm. unless we automatically Yeah. I mean, I think we did a lot of just novel proteins. (laughs) Like that was our go-to was novel proteins, but yeah, um, I didn't specifically do a low for that, but yeah. But yeah, if you've got, especially we saw, I I don't know if I'd say a lot of lymphangiectasia, but we saw a fair number yeah. Um, and that's the low fat. And then you've got pancreatitis that are, you know, and so we saw a ton of pancreatitis patients yeah. too. So, um, and I, I think that's the thing, low fat. So why low fats recommended is because there's triglycerides, right? And that is the most common form of dietary fat is long chain triglycerides. And what that does is it stimulates lymph flow and increases protein leakage through the lymphatic vessels. So when we have lymphangiectasia, right? Like it's the lymph off. vessels are not working appropriately. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we tend to be losing protein and things like that. So mm-hmm. a low fat, high protein, low residue diet is usually desired for those type of cases. Um, sometimes we can still utilize a hydrolyzed protein or novel protein diets for management, but usually like a low fat, low residue diet, that's also hydrolyzed or a novel protein is difficult to find for now. I imagine that'll change probably very soon. (laughs) Yeah. I know that we, um, I feel like the nutrition world's making huge strides like the last few years, especially, especially when it comes to how much, yeah, I was gonna say with, with the, the food allergies and like the diseases that are coming from that. And the fact that we're catching a lot of them, like, I feel like previously, I think dogs and cats had this stuff, but nobody, they were just like, whatever, it's fine. Um, versus now, I think there's definitely more workups for these dogs and cats. Yeah. Um, we worked with a nutritionist that, that created diets for our patients with lymphangiectasia because it was hard to find a yeah. diet that was appropriate. That was prescription or over the counter. So we, we had a couple of, um, yeah. Nutritionists that like, would formulate diets yeah. for them. Working which... with Tufts or like balance it and stuff like that has always mm-hmm. been very good for these type of cases. Yeah. Uh, we I love also... balance it. We use them all the time. Balance it is so good. Anytime someone talks to me about how they like just cook for their pet and I'm like, 
So go to this Is website <laughs> and just, you know, just like ask if you should add anything else to the diet. <laughs> like, probably yes, but we won't say that. It's right so funny because like usually people are like, oh, cool. Thanks so much. They can give me new recipe ideas. I was like, yep, they can. And then people will like text me later and they're like, oh my God, I got so, so many supplements. Now my dog's like hair coat looks so great. And I was like, I yeah. know. You're like, this is what happens when you work with a veterinary nutritionist. <laughs> I know. Anyway, so on to short bowel syndrome. So we know that short bowel syndrome, like that's, that's caused by us usually. So that usually develops from a massive resection of the small intestines and oftentimes results in malabsorption just due to the lack of surface area. We talked about yeah. uh, short bowel syndrome a while ago. Uh, so the area that's resected is going to kind of, dictate what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So sometimes we can see a cobalamin deficiency because if the ileum had been resected, then we know that ilia, uh, the ileum absorbs cobalamin. So we can see GI effects from lack of cobalamin absorption. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, those type of cases in particular can benefit from still low residue. Everything's going to be low residue, low residue diets, <laughs> moderate to high fat though. Um, and energy dense foods. Why? Because there's not enough surface area to really yeah. absorb all the normal nutrients. So we kind of have to like, you have to do the like the over yeah, putting the, it like, in so they can get as much as possible with the little surface area they have left. Exactly. They absorb just as much as they possibly can. We also want it to be low to moderate in fiber too, just because there's not enough, there's not as much room to absorb excess yeah so it yeah yeah so we do like um fat soluble so um vitamin d a and c e no, a and a e e and d and d because c and b, b are water are water soluble which yeah. is why you can't really over supplement because you just pee it out you can't overdo vitamin C. In theory, no. Yeah. Um, so we can also <laughs> see dysbiosis of the bacterial flora, right? And we know, so this is an imbalance of the normal bacteria within the intestines. And that can lead to diarrhea. And actually, actually, according to some studies, may even be present in 50% of dogs with diarrhea. I'm not even surprised by that. I think... I just think it's I mean, one of those things that we overlook. We're like, yes, the yeah. Like, I think the GI biome. I mean, I think what like five to five to eight years ago, there was this huge like discussion about GI biome at like ACBIM and everything, and I think they really are realizing that GI bacteria, GI flora, um, plays such a huge role. <laughs> it plays, it plays a, like such a significant role and we actually often see dysbiosis too with epi yeah but again i i don't know i feel like we can see dysbiosis pretty much with any sort of gi disturbance <laughs> like right there's either well, gonna be the too much bacteria is, or too little and it's just yeah. like <laughs> well and the question is like which came first right did the dysbiosis happen and then these diseases came along or is it the diseases came along and then the dysbiosis it's like 
I don't know. We, you know, there's, they're, they're looking into that stuff, which is pretty cool, actually. It is really cool. All the things that probiotics can do. Anyway, so we typically <laughs> put probiotics, prebiotics, as well as possibly some antimicrobial therapies may be needed for dysbiosis. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Because we want to get rid of the bad GI bacteria, promote the happy, good bacteria. Yep pancreatitis <laughs> i mean i feel like we did a whole episode about this so <laughs> we did do a whole episode about this so i'm going to make it very brief because oh look are... there's the the fat soluble vitamins we forgot about k oh i, I did forget that. <laughs> I did that. <laughs> um yeah. so pancreatitis same thing kind of a soapbox just because how hard it was driven into my head when i was in tech school that usually feeding these guys as early as possible is best. Um, yeah, it is old school to fast them for 48 to 78, 72 hours. Like, please do not do that with pancreatitis anymore. There there's plenty of studies that show that the guts just have to have nutrition in order to work. mm -hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why like TPN is just no longer done. Um, It does make sense. The guts to get their energy source it does Otherwise make the sense though, that like the pancreas would get more pissed off if it wasn't like flowing normally <laughs> like if, yeah. if like food wasn't yeah. flowing normally through the gi tract uh the only time we're gonna try like that we're not gonna introduce food early is if we really just can't get the vomiting controlled with antiemetics and small amounts of nutrition should be given as soon as possible so like as soon as we can get them to stop vomiting or mm. we try other modes of nutrition <laughs> um <clears throat> that i'm no. not gonna get into because we've already talked about it anyway <laughs> a lot of pancreatitis cases are going to be treated with a low fat diet being best because fat restriction is really gonna um help reduce that inflammation for pancreatitis also for chronic pancreatitis they really should have a low fat diet <laughs> like yeah. constantly forever not just for the bout of pancreatitis um because they're going to be more susceptible to developing pancreatitis again cats are pretty similar uh they although they don't usually require diet changes just because cats tend to not get pancreatitis from fatty things like dogs do Cats are just, you look at them wrong and they get pancreatitis. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so on the other side of pancreatitis, we have EPI. It's not really different functions. But exocrine still, versus endocrine. Still pancreas. Um, EPI patients tend to be very hungry and show yeah. signs of weight loss. Um, they do have problems with absorption of vitamins, particularly our fat soluble vitamins, which are A, D, E, and K. Uh, also cobalamin might need to be supplemented as well, just because again, depending on the clinical signs, if it's dogs having significant diarrhea, we can obviously see some losses in that water soluble vitamin. All right. So our large intestines are going to benefit from high fiber diets because that's going to help support the growth of good bacteria within the guts to help uh, with water balance, which is awesome. And if a high fiber diet doesn't improve specifically large bowel diarrhea, then a low residue diet can be used. 
And what that's going to do is minimize nutrients reaching the colon. Right. Cause... Because it's absorbed in the small intestines and mm-hmm. while the large intestines heal. Um, if diarrhea is not responsive to fiber or highly digestible diets, a low allergen diet is then recommended in case there's a possible immune mediated issue. Right. Yeah. So these are your, your, um, food allergy or food sensitivity patients. Mm -hmm. Then there's gas. (laughs) Yep. You know, when there's just like excessive berberygmus. Yeah. We had one that he, what did he, I think he, I want to say he had API, but one of the things for him is he had like insane gas, like clearing the room gas. It was so bad. Scott does Um, that to me sometimes when he's laying under my desk. Yeah. And it was just dysbiosis and all sorts of craziness. Um, yeah, but it was, it was interesting because once we kind of got that low residue diet and it was, we did a novel protein for them because we also noticed that he had some food sensitivity. Um, and it just, you know, using stuff that, um, doesn't ferment that much. (laughs) Like, so beans, (laughs) some vegetables should be avoided. Right. Um, but if we, you know, use diets that were easy to digest and didn't produce as much gas. It was much better, but I, those owners just thought that they were going to have to live with the farts forever. And so when we got that under control, they were like beyond ecstatic (laughs) because the dog wasn't as farty and it was like clean, clean, clear the room daily, daily. Like he was in the exam room. We had to open the doors because I was like, wow. And I was like, do you deal with this all the time? And they're like, yes. I was like, okay, that is not normal. <laughs> so we'll deal with that. Yeah. It's so for our gassy pets, um, usually a low residue diet with also a lower fat content than what they're currently eating can help mm-hmm. reduce the amount of gas they might be passing. Also look at the ingredients on the bag. Sometimes if there's highly fermentable carbohydrates, like beans and vegetables and things, then, um, sometimes we can just switch (laughs) a carb source. And, and sometimes we can reduce the gassiness by that. Also exercise helps just expel things, get things moving. Get it out of the guts outside. (laughs) So just for the sake of the fact that we've talked about low residue diets so many times this episode, So a low residue diet is defined by having a protein digestibility of greater than 87% and fat and carb digestibility of greater than 90%. So Mm. usually these diets have like different ingredients that are lower in fiber, which is less than three to 5% on a dry matter basis. And so the benefits of having a pet on a low residue diet, especially when battling GI disease, is that it just helps to speed up the movement of through food through the stomach and it helps in like the guts to absorb nutrients when it's already under a stressful environment. Crazy. Yeah. So that's a lot of GI stuff. Uh <laughs> We can kind of touch on lactose and gluten, but 
lactase in particular just should be avoided with any pets with GI disease, just because it's already difficult for them to digest lactose. But when you also throw in that they already have gut disease, it just doesn't work as well. And I know that a lot of people, like a lot of pet parents will just say, oh, I've been giving my dog yogurt. But the use of yogurt with like specifically chronic diarrhea isn't generally recommended because of its lactose content. So yogurt also doesn't really colonize in the bowel very well. (laughs) Like it doesn't. Yeah. Well, and like, here's the other thing too, those, those yogurts that have like extra bacteria in them, right? Those are bacteria specific to people and not to dogs. Like their GI biome and our GI biome, they're very different. Um, So, you know, that's another thing where you want to make sure that you're giving the supplements that are appropriate for your, for your patient, for your pet. Um, so yeah, so yogurt, yogurt's not going to always be that (laughs) cure-all that a lot of people want to make it be. Yeah. It's just like, I, you know, I read this study too. And again, I do plan on a probiotic episode, but I read this study that even like when taking oral probiotics, like the amount of probiotics that even make it past your like saliva and your stomach acid is so little minimal yeah and it's like while the ones that do stay can like multiply and stuff like i found this wonderful probiotic it's humans um but it's a double capsule probiotic so one Mm -hmm. capsule will open up in your stomach and then the other capsule won't open up until your small bowel just for the sake of hopefully helping to yeah that's like the whole delayed release thing too yeah think it really makes a difference um there's obviously way more information for gi disease nutrition as well so oh my god there's so much more that we could talk about but it's like the amount we'll probably have to do a second episode yeah absolutely but that's pretty much a wrap for this week on nutritional management of gi disease and i hope you all learned something And be on the lookout for even more. Woo! <laughs> Yay! All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody has a wonderful week, and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye! Bye, everybody! Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettechs.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.